And in that, refiner's fire, here I am, send me. And I, I thought about this passage of scripture that we come to. I love going expository through the scriptures because you're forced to come to a passage of scripture and you can't avoid it. And when I come to Colossians chapter 3, I think about that prayer, here am I, send me, because 21 years ago, Courtney and I hiked our favorite mountain, Whiteside, up in North Carolina, praying about a mission trip, our first mission trip to Europe, asking the question, God, who do you, what do you have for us? Where are we to go? And when we got to the top of the mountain, overlooking the Blue Ridge, sitting up there together, opening up our scriptures, God had us read this passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Now, a few weeks later, uh, we got in the mail. Do you remember the mail? The real mail? Um, we actually opened up a, a, a booklet, and that booklet had our trip itinerary. We had chosen to go with the Jesus Film Project to minister to Muslims in Geneva, Switzerland. And when we opened the book, the scripture passage that was there for the whole of the trip and the guidance of the team was Colossians chapter 3. God loves to speak through his word. And he's got something for each one of us today. We've heard that. Maybe you've already encountered the Lord through Jessica leading us through prayer. But there's more to be had. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, um, I think it'll be up on the screen. I'll be re reading from the English Standard Version. And I'll be kind of just making our way through it. So please, grab out your Bibles. And I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. He uses the word if right from the get-go. He talks a lot about letting no one disqualify you in the faith. Can you imagine? You're a new believer. You're a new Christian. You've heard the gospel for the first time. You're a small group in Colossae who are hearing the word of God read out to you by Tychicus because he's the one who's delivered it from Paul. You're, you're growing in your faith. And then he says something. If, if, not because you are, if you, what? If you have been raised with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ. Not, not because, but if. How many of us need to answer that question? Are we in Christ? If we're in Christ, then guess what? We have the power of God in us to be transformed completely. I love this. He says, if then you have been. It literally could translate rouse company with. If you are hanging out with Jesus, if you are in the company of Jesus, now Jesus has ascended to heaven, but the Holy Spirit has come. If you are in the company of believers, will you be transformed? Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. Who we hang out with, who we spend time with, actually mattered to Paul. And he was trying to transfer that to the early church to say, who you spend time with is who you will become. Amen? How many of you, have you know this, that 
Who your friends are actually change and transform who you are. This is why we always tell our children, choose your friends well. I, um, I love that he says this, if you are raised with Christ, then seek. He uses the same word that he uses in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, seek me. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek. Then the things above. Where are, we, where are we looking for? We're looking for the things above. Why? Because Christ has raised from the dead. He has ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father above. So Paul says, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above. Not on the things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will, you will appear with him in glory. And then he says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Turn, circle the word for earthly if you're in your Bibles and you like to write on it. And as someone said, put tattoos on your Bible. Um, you know, if you want to write on your Bible, the word literally is soil. It doesn't mean the whole earth. That's cosmos. It means soil. He says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. When I think of soil, I think of a time with Jason Wood and Matt Wood and Timothy Wood. These were guys in my neighborhood. And we used to build forts in our creek. And uh, we, would, we would go in, and usually the, the, there was water in the creek. Sometimes there wasn't, but usually there was flowing water. And we would take that water, we'd pour it into a big cauldron of mud. And guess what we would do? We would actually pull it together into balls, because boys will be boys. And what were those balls? Those balls were grenades. And those balls were quite fun to throw at each other across the creek. And we would do our best to throw them. And, and how many of you have had that experience where people have sown this world or thrown this world at you? Culture has thrown itself upon you, and you have gotten hit by a ball. Proverbial speaking. Maybe you've been hit by a ball, I don't know, of mud. Well, that soil hits, and it sticks to you. And I remember one time seeing Jason Wood get hit in the back. I think his brother had put some rocks into the soil. And it hit him in the back, and it stuck to his back. And I remember him crying. And his mother came out of the house. And guess what we all did? I wanted to run, but it was my back garden. <laughs> People are in the business, in life, of sowing soil onto you, throwing their dirt onto you, getting the dirt into your life, into the crevices of your life. And he says this, that you've sown this, and he talks about things that people like to sow into your life. And I don't want to spend all day on these things, these vice lists that Paul talks about, but there are things that the world is trying to sow into your life which will transform you and, and actually change the way you think. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. He says this, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, 
evil desires, covetousness. And then he, he likens that to kind of idol worship. And he says, well, that's kind of idolatry. On, on the account of these things, not because of you, but on the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. I love how he says this, that he's honest enough to say, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. Amen? We all have walked into paths we shouldn't have walked into. We have gotten stuck in places we shouldn't have been. This is why, so as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens another man, a woman sharpens another man, when you gather together, you have the power to live out your faith well. Because all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And I, I, I think it's interesting when he puts up these big kind of terminologies, he then goes into some smaller ones. He said anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. These all come from various covetousnesses and the way that we live. And he said, don't lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self. Let me tell you something. It's like getting dressed in the morning. How many of you enjoyed the process this morning of getting dressed? I'm getting a very mixed reaction, actually. <laughs> Some people are shaking their heads, others are like, not so much. Paul is so clear, he's saying, I want you to, I want you to examine the old self. The old self. Do not lie to one another. Look at the old self. What's the old self? The old self in the eyes of Paul is before the if. If you have been raised with Christ, you can put on the new self. But if you have not been raised with Christ, the old self still reigns. And the heart of God's heart for you and I is that we'd be transformed into new creations, the new self. And so he says, the old self with its practices, these were the former practices, but you have put on the new self. How many of us are really thrilled about the new self? 2 Corinthians uh, which I thought was interesting because Paul's talking about the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, verse 16. He says this, the power of God in us actually allows us so that we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's the body, our inner self, that's the new man or the new woman, is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction the soil that's being thrown at you, the world's philosophy that's being thrown at you, guess what? It's a light and momentary affliction preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I don't know if, if, you're, if you're excited about the eternal weight of glory, but I would think an amen is, uh, is appropriate. Amen. An eternal weight of glory. So we don't look at the things that we see, but the things that are unseen. We walk by faith, not by sight. For the things that are seen are transient. This world is perishing, but we are being renewed day by day by day. Say, I'm being renewed. Praise the Lord. All right? And then Paul says, go back to 10, I put on the new self, which is being renewed. Same exact thought. In knowledge, after the image of the Creator, the old and the new self. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He said, he said, your real self will not come as long as you're looking for it. 
It will come when you're looking for Him. No self-help books are going to get you there. No self-mantras are going to get you there. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of what? Faith. After the new self is put onto us by Christ and we accept the new self and then we begin to put on the new self daily by looking at the way that we function and live and who we hang out with and how this all plays out, we see that Paul shifts the letter to the Colossians. And he says this, okay, you have, you have put to death that which is earthly. Now I want you to put on something. So when I put on the sweater, the jumper, right? Let's say just it represents some things, okay? I could, I could put on a lot of things, but I choose the things that I choose. To, today I went into my closet and I said, I really like that blue sweater. I like that blue jumper. What does he say? Put on then, as God's chosen, you've been chosen by God to live out a, a holy life. He says, holy and beloved. Put, it, put this on, compassion. You want to change the atmosphere in a city? Put on compassion. You want to change the atmosphere in a classroom? Put on compassion. How about this one? Kindness. Be true to Christ, be kind to all people, take the gospel to the nations that's written on our wall. Why? Because kindness actually matters. The way you treat people matters in this life. Why? Because the world is looking for someone different. Why are they different? Why does he act? Why, why does he act kind to me when I'm rude to him? Humility and meekness. Humility and meekness. Meekness is not frailty. Charles Spurgeon once said that, uh, you, you, you know, he was talking about meekness, and he, he said, uh, he said why, why, why are you calling Christians through the Word of God to be meek? And he says this, it's, it's like a caged lion. That's how I describe meekness. You have all the power in the world, and yet the cage goes open, and the lion still sits there. The lion knows who he is. He knows who who, how he's going to react. She knows how she's going to react. It's like that for us. Meek and humility. I was wrong. I made a mistake. You hear that very often? How many of you have heard that this week on the national news? If you have a complaint against somebody, which is interesting, Complaining and arguing actually is against what God calls us to do. Do everything without what? Arguing and complaining. But Paul knows that there'll be times and seasons in which there'll be complaints. And what does he say when we get to that point? Forgive one another. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Why do we need forgiveness? Why do we extend forgiveness? Anybody can tell me? Because you've been forgiven. Because Christ forgave you, so you also have to forgive. I think that he's going to say that very shortly, isn't he? 
Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let me share something with you. It's not optional. Amen? How many of you are like, that's too hard? How many of you have something that is in your past and you know, I have not forgiven that person. I've carried it with me all these years and I've just never given them forgiveness. I learned this, that the one who carries the forgiveness the longer actually is the one mostly in bondage, amen? They're the ones carrying it, worrying about it, holding it in front of them. When God says, forgive, and you must forgive, it's not an option. But above all these things, put on love. Again, he's saying, put on something. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I've shared this story before because I thought it was so funny, but when we joined our team in Switzerland, in Geneva, we ended up joining a team from Lebanon, and uh, they were wild. I mean, they had just, you know, they were Christians in a real tough area. So they were like out there ministering the gospel every day. And, and we're like, we, we hung out with one, uh, one Jordanian who was about eight feet tall. And uh, he was a Christian and he was amazing. And he came along with us and he was our partner as we handed out the Jesus film and gave out Bibles and tried to create conversations with Muslims from the Middle East. And then you had the Lebanese team. And you had this one guy, and I, I thought his name, he kept saying, oneness, oneness. And I was like, Courtney, he read Colossians chapter 3, his real name, he, he is embodying this whole thing. So every time I saw him, he'd say, they'd say oneness, and I'd say, oneness you know, with the American gusto. Oneness. And I'm thinking, man, our team is going to be one. We are one. And he's out sharing the Lord and leading all these Muslims to Christ. And he comes home one day and I'm like, man, he's oneness. We are one. And then somebody came up to me and said, why do you keep saying oneness every time he walks into the room, you know, or he leaves the room, which is even stranger. And, you know, they're trying. And I said, well, that's, that's what we are. And, and they said, no, Nathan, that's his name. Oneness. <laughs> you can be misguided in certain things, and that's okay, as long as you're doing it with gusto. Well, what is God trying to call us to? Oneness. Oneness. Perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ. We've got a world that is shattered right now, and there's not a lot of peace. Let God's peace rule in your hearts, and guess what? Then you'll be able to give peace to other people. When they're struggling through things, you can bring them peace, the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, and you just hand it to them and say, I want to pray for you. I want to give you the peace of Christ. It's more than just a statement. Peace be with you. It's a great statement, but it's more than that. It's I'm bringing the peace of Christ into this situation. When the world is falling apart all around, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Indeed, you were called into one body. The Colossians were called, just like you and I, into a body of believers. And we're called to be a body of believers. 
And you can imagine that those real people did the similar things that you did. They went to work on a daily basis, they served in the various courts, probably uh, the region, uh, some of them probably were government officials, some of them served making linen, some of them were, uh, some of the women probably did die casting, and we know that from the case from, from other passages of scripture. We especially know it because we know that some of them became Christians based on this early movement of God. We also know that some men probably were tent makers and builders and joiners and you name it, they did it. They're no different than you and I and the same message goes to them that the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called into one body and be what? Thankful. Do you know how thankful I am? To, to see you when you walk through the door. When I'm standing over there and I see you, yay! You know, I'm not just doing this because I'm, you know, as crazy as oneness. I, I'm doing this because I'm happy, genuinely happy to see you here on a Sunday. And some of you parents, you make, you make a huge difference in your children by bringing them to church. You have no idea. Sometimes it may feel like the hardest thing in the world to do, but let me tell you something. In the long term, you are making a massive change in their life. You're setting them into a position by which they will grow in the Lord and succeed. And it may not feel like it when you're trying to get them into the car. Can I get an amen? Or you're trying to get them dressed, right? Because they, they, sometimes they have their little old self garments on. Maybe sometimes we have our old self-governments on and we need to put on the new self-governments, right? But the reality is, it's hard. I can remember many days in South Florida showing up and say, asking the kids, where are your shoes? <laughs> when we were walking into the church service <coughs> and feeling, oh man, and disheveled and confused and going, oh, are they going to notice? Thankfully, nobody does. Nobody cares. <laughs> really? But if you've gotten your kids here, God bless you. Awesome. All right? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And how do we do this? By singing. Singing. Anybody got a good song? No, Nathan, don't do this today. Don't do it. Don't do it. Anybody got a good song? Yeah, I bet you all do. That's right. I bet you all do. Singing songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. Let me share something with you. Don't live in fear as you walk out your faith. We have, we, we have no reason to live in fear. Notice what he says this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do not live in fear. Can I quote a great Scottish uh, person that you might know if you are from Scotland. You might know even if you're not from Scotland. But there's this great quote that says, a man with God is always in the majority. You can take out a woman with God is always in the majority. Anybody know who that is? His name is John Knox. Very good. We have nothing to fear in, in Christ. So whether we do things for the Lord, whether we're living out the word, we're doing it in the name of the Father and of the Son, and we're doing it through him. Jonathan Edwards, um, probably the most foremost theologian ever produced on American soil. 
and I'm talking about a purely American theologian in the 17th century. Um, he wrote this, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. As is the business of a soldier is to fight, so the business of a Christian is to be like Christ. Amen? So I'm going to pray over you this passage of Scripture. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to let you pray it. I'm going to ask you, if you're in little areas, we're going to, we're going to break up again. We're, we're on time schedule here. This is great. When we're ahead of schedule. But if you're in a local little area, I want you to pull your, pull your things together, and I want you to pray together. And I want you to pray for each other, that you have the power to put on Christ in whatever situation you're going through. And if there's something going on with you, and you're struggling, this is that moment when we are thankful that we've been called into a body. Can I get an amen? And you know, if you, if, you feel, if you feel like you just need to sit there and receive, sit there and receive. If you need prayer, pray. If you need wisdom, we obtain wisdom from God, but often through the counsel of others. So if that's you, just, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Pull together. Um, you've got 30 seconds to pull together, and then we'll close out with a song.